Thanks for tuning in to Charlottesville Soundboard. I'm your host, Mary Garner McGee. Soundboard airs every other Saturday at 6 a.m. on WTJU 91.1 FM and also comes to you as a podcast that belongs to the Virginia Audio Collective. This week, we meet some of the folks behind a new labor union at UVA, the United Campus Workers of Virginia. Plus, we talk about the return of 5,000 UVA students to their on-campus housing and how student workers are responding. My name is Andre. I am um, a master's student in the School of Data Science. Uh, and in terms of the union, I am a member of our steering committee. My name is Cecilia Parks. I am an undergraduate student success librarian, so I am staff at UVA. I started at UVA in February. Um, I'm just sort of a regular member of uh, UCW here, um, but I was also a member of the UCW Mississippi chapter at uh, the University of Mississippi, where I uh, previously worked before coming here. And my name is Crystal Law. I'm a graduate student uh, in the history department on uh, the Graduate School of Arts and Sciences, and I am also a member of the steering committee for UCW Virginia. My name is Rosa Hamilton. I'm a graduate student in the history department and also a member of the steering committee. Can you all describe what a union is? A union is, in essence, an organization where people who work can come together and voice their concerns stand together in solidarity with one another and with other organizations and help to institute the changes that they want to see, right? So the idea of a union is all about collective representation and collective action. And so one of the advantages of the union is that it organizes a little bit outside of the general university administrative practices, and it gives us a way to directly talk to the administration about what concerns we have as workers, as the people who make the university run. It's just about workplace democracy, essentially. So instead of, in the case of UVA, a handful of administrators making all the calls, uh, a union ideally would allow all the university's employees, in this case, to have a seat at the table and be a part of those decisions. The thing that's really important to me about the union is that it's not just graduate students talking to each other or staff talking to each other or staff in a particular department talking to each other or just faculty talking to each other. Um, it's everybody sort of coming together and sort of putting everybody on a, a level playing field um, to talk about issues that affect all of us, even though we sort of may not think about it or we may not realize that they have such sort of broad cross-cutting um, appeal or impact. Yeah, and that's one of the things that's sort of unique to UCW is that we're trying to organize as a wall-to-wall union, which means that everybody who receives a paycheck from the university is an eligible member for us. So student workers, whether they be undergraduate or graduate. So for example, I work at the Math Collaborative Learning Center. So I receive a paycheck from the university. I'm a member of the union as a result of my eligibility by getting paid for the university. Graduate students who get paid to be like graduate teaching assistants, things like that. Any faculty, any staff. So Cecilia said that she works in the library anyone who works for facilities maintenance, anybody who gets a paycheck from the university really is is within that bubble of people who can be eligible to join our union, as opposed to other sorts of unions where it's maybe just a faculty union or just an undergraduate union. I know this came up a lot in the living wage activism over the past couple years, but um, do you all include contract workers? So unfortunately, no. Contract workers, because they don't work directly for UVA, are not eligible to join the union. But the union completely intends to support workers who are not formal members as well. So we want to be a player in kind of helping working people in Charlottesville and at the university 
get all kinds of gains if that's, you know, better living wage or uh, health care, right, um, expanding health care coverage. What is the distribution between staff and students currently and what do you hope it will look like? I think that right now, that's a lot of graduate students in our union, um, which sort of makes sense because that tends to be a lot of the people who, who maybe have the time and drive to try to organize things like this. But like I mentioned earlier, we are organizing as a wall-to-wall union, which means that everybody would be eligible to be a member. Um, and so we're hoping that that ratio, that demographic breakdown, looks like representative of the university's employee demographics, right? And we want to make sure that everybody uh, can be a part of the union if they want to be. And do you all have, like, strategies or ideas about how to, you know, make that happen? Absolutely. So one of the first strategies was just going public and letting people know that we're here. But the other way is to just ask people what their issues are. And I think, you know, a lot of people have things that they want to change about their workplace. It might not be something as drastic as um, I want healthcare coverage to be extended or I want my paychecks to be bigger. Uh, it might just be, you know, I don't like my supervisor or, you know, I don't like the way certain things are done here. And that's a great place to start um, to talk about, you know, frustrations that you have with the way things are being run concerns you have, especially with this fall, about in-person instruction and safety. So that's definitely where we're going to start. Can you tell me a little bit more about your specific mission here at UVA? For one thing, building a union at UVA is kind of a, a momentous task in and of itself just because of how terrible Virginia is often ranked in terms of labor law, and especially in terms of the way it treats its public employees, right, since we don't technically have the right to collectively bargain or for our unions to be recognized. And so building a union at the University of Virginia means committing to a long-term project of seeing not just kind of change happen at our institution, but legislative change happen um, in the state. And so, you know, the UVA is kind of a a starting point for us to hopefully be able to lobby for legislative changes that won't just impact um, workers here, but will impact public school teachers and they'll impact thousands of other state employees. The other thing is, you know, UVA is a very wealthy institution. It's a very privileged institution in many ways. And we recognize that as an institution with immense financial institutional resources, it can always basically unlimitedly afford to do better by the people that it employs. Um, And that's something that we're really interested in starting a a really robust conversation on is um, not letting the university decide when good is good enough, right? Currently, we have a fall campaign that we've already launched, our Act Fast UVA campaign, um, which sort of has like three different prongs. The first is to sort of piggyback off Crystal wrapped up with to fight austerity, right? Um, Because we know that the university has all of those resources that Crystal mentioned. So we want to help pressure the university to enact a firing freeze and end the current hiring freeze using its strategic investment fund. We also want to make sure that the university assures safety for all students and workers. So this includes shutting down in-person instruction wherever possible uh, and moving to a completely online semester to help limit the spread of COVID and make sure that they're paying hazard pay for all workers who must be working in person. Our third prong of our fall campaign is solidarity together. Right. So solidarity, not only with all workers contracted and otherwise at the university, but also with other pre-existing organizations like the Black Student Alliance, the Young Democratic Socialists of America and other activist student groups uh, at the university and then other workers outside of the University of Virginia as well. Let's talk a little bit more about the campaign. What are some tactics that you all are employing? How are you hoping to push these demands? You know, it's difficult because in the time of COVID, it's harder to do in-person events. So 
We're doing a lot on social media, on Twitter, and on uh, our petitions on Facebook. And the response so far has been pretty phenomenal. So I think this shows the kind of widespread interest and the kind of yearning for a union of all workers at UVA. And part of what we're able to do through social media is to just make the case why UVA workers need a union and also thinking about how our interests really are similar despite our employment categories, especially in these times where we're all affected by the possibility of an in-person instruction leading to higher COVID cases. We're all affected by the university's legacies of systemic inequality and racism. So being able to make these cases broadly on social media, reaching out also to student organizations that have been doing the work, Black Student Alliance, Young Democratic Socialists of America, who are already have been there doing the work, being able to reach out to them on social media has been really key and just amplifying it at all stages. So to talk a little bit more about the campaign, fall classes are already more than 80% online. Why are you all pushing for that move from 80% to entirely online? Well, we basically don't want um, the university to allow any students to come back to grounds who aren't already here. Um, So what we've seen happen at places like UNC and Notre Dame is as soon as students come back to the community physically, um, whether or not they're attending um, a significant amount of in-person classes, they're living together in residence halls, they're eating together in dining halls or in restaurants, and the spread begins um, and infection rates spike, not just for students, but also for workers who have to go in and keep those spaces clean and for community members who have to serve those students at restaurants and bars. Um, and so that's just something that we think the University of Virginia, because it has delayed move in by two weeks, has this opportunity to just say anyone who's not here yet, please stay home. You know, um, don't bring thousands of students from who knows where, what infection rates are like in your area back to a vulnerable community. And similarly, we want to echo sort of like YDSA put out a statement the other day talking about how there's no such thing as acceptable losses. And we wanted to echo that as well. There is no acceptable number of losses to have in our community before we can determine that it's time to shut things down. So we should be doing it now rather than when cases are spiking. We're doing a lot with media and art. We have zines where we're talking about who we are and what we do, what a union does but also like fighting back against some of the myths and some of the the questions and concerns people have about unionizing at a public university like Virginia in a right to work state. People have a lot of worries and concerns about that, but it turns out, you know, we're well within our rights to be here, to be organizing as a union. Yeah. Could you talk more about some of those myths? What, what are people's misconceptions about unions in right to work states like Virginia? Well, right to work often gets phrased as you cannot form a union if you're a public sector employee, which is not true. Um, The right to unionize is protected under state and federal law. And we also have the right to organize once we're unionized. Um, We may not have the right to collectively bargain or go on strike, but that doesn't mean that we can't, once it's safe again to do so, pick it publicly or um, hand out leaflets while we're um, off the clock at work. So that's one major thing that we've seen come up recently. And the other thing, I guess, is that the university um, will fire people for joining a union, which would be illegal for them to do so. And um, I I think that people's concerns about joining a union are not unfounded. We have seen retaliation take place um, during other actions at higher ed before. 
But our response to that is just we've seen what happens without a union, right? Workers are furloughed and laid off and benefits are cut. And that's all without the protection that a union offers. And so um, we think that it's always better for workers to come together in community, in solidarity and to protect one another. And that kind of community of protection and care is, is what the union can offer first and foremost before we're ever able to negotiate a contract. I think one sort of myth that is really parallel to that is, well, if we can't collectively bargain, if we can't strike, then what is the point of a union? Like, why would you bother joining a union? And I think um, there are a sort of a ton of benefits, sort of, as Crystal pointed out, you know, getting together in community is, is a goal in and of itself. Um, but then if you also look at some of the UCW chapters um, in places like Tennessee, the University of Tennessee has had a, a really longstanding UCW chapter, and they've been able to, like, make real gains in terms of, of pay equity. Um, even the uh, UCW at Mississippi has been able to sort of work on issues um, in the few years that it's been around that, like, just weren't coming up before. So even though, you know, they're not necessarily taking those big actions that we associate with the strike. There's a lot of good that can come out of people talking to each other and working together. Um, again, sort of like Andre said, outside of that university um, power structure. Can you all talk a little bit about how you went about writing the bylaws? What are some important things that people should know about how the organization is designed? Yeah, so I can, I can speak to that for sure. Um, so UCW, um, because they exist in other locations and have pre-existing locals, um, provided us with a little bit of a starter kit, which included some sample bylaws from other chapters um, and some sample mission statements from other chapters, just so we could get a look at how other locals have been starting their, their business. Um, so we took a look at a few of those, and um, basically a subgroup of our steering committee ended up working really hard to try to draft a set of bylaws, and we iterated over that many, many, many times. Um, and then we went to our general membership and we had more discussion. Um, and so one of the things that I think it was Crystal who mentioned earlier was that we want to make sure that the union is a place for democracy, right? The union is all about workplace democracy. And so we wanted to be very democratic in instituting our own rules. Um, and so we made sure we had feedback from everybody who was available. Um, and we gave everybody lots of time to vote on our bylaws and had lots of discussion. And it was just sort of something that we hashed out as a group. And I think that that's, um, significant, right? It wasn't just something that was handed down from on high, right? It's all about us affecting our own change from the bottom up. Um, and so in terms of like, I mean, I'm not necessarily going to get into the nitty gritty of, you know, different articles and sections of our bylaws, but it's something that we as a union thus far feel confident and proud of that we can say, these are the rules of our conduct that we want to be following and are setting as an example for anyone who wants to join yet later on. One thing that I'll just uh, add on really briefly um, that I I don't know I really I think is really cool is that the steering committee is sort of elected. It's um, as sort of they, they alluded to. It's a democratic process. Uh, it's not paid, and it's elected from the membership. So it really allows even sort of at that top level for it to be really democratic, democratically uh, and sort of worker driven, um, rather than having somebody from UCW coming in and running it. Um, it's very much sort of that organic bottom up structure. Why have dues? And what will the funds go to? I think the way that UCW has always um, described it to us, and I think it's very compelling, is that dues are an investment much the same way college tuition is, and you get returns on it. 
Um, so uh, in exchange for dues, you obviously get to be a member of the union, but dues also go towards um, actions that directly benefit workers. So one thing we want to be clear about is that members get to decide how the money is spent because we are a democratically run organization. We decide on our campaigns together collectively, um, and we decide on what actions are taken with our financial resources. Um, so currently, because we're all on social media, this current campaign is very low budget. Um, it's not really costing us anything. But in the future, if we ever decide to do in-person actions, um, those resources will require us to put up money for them. Um, if we ever need to uh, fundraise and do mutual aid for our community, um, dues can go towards that as well. Cecilia, do you, do you know like what things um, UCW uh, Mississippi has done with their financial resources? Yeah, so um, they have used some of the money at UCW to uh, hire a part-time organizer, um, which has been really helpful. And doing the administrative work can be a really large burden, especially on folks like graduate students who are already like overworked and underpaid for their for their labor to begin with. And even for you know people who are working a full-time job, like doing that kind of administrative work is it can be really burdensome. So uh, hiring an organizer to do some of that that um, has been really uh, beneficial for the University of Mississippi. Um, one other thing that happened, sort of Crystal alluded to, to mutual aid, is that um, as soon as the pandemic hit in Mississippi, um, the union, the UCW there, put together a mutual aid fund. They solicited a bunch of donations, but they also used some of their dues money as, as seed money for that. Um, and so they ended up being able to give, give uh, out like over $17,000 in, um, in mutual aid funds to, to folks in the uh, higher ed community at, uh, in Mississippi. So that's the kind of thing that dues go to. And that was something that they saw a need and they were able to act really quickly on that because they had that ready pool of money. And even looking like way further down the line, um, if we do ever get the approval from the state legislature that it gives us the right to strike, something that our dues could go to is even something like a strike fund. So that way we can make sure that our members are protected and are taken care of just in case we need to take dire actions later on. Has the UVA administration said anything in response to your formation? Not yet. Have you had any conversations with people in the administration? Not as an institution, not as far as I know. Uh, yeah. Our focus so far has been mostly on getting our democratic organization centered and collected and ready to be able to go public. Um, if the university, university administration wants to talk to us, we'll be happy to talk to them. Much as our demands are kind of framed towards the university admin, because they are currently the ones with the power to decide whether or not the school goes online, our primary audience are potential members and our current members and people we want to bring into the community. There was a CWA union here that shut down in 2008 because they had trouble recruiting members. Are you all at all worried about recruitment? I think that's a really good question. Um, I think with the, the CWA union in 2008, one thing that's, I think, a good lesson from there, and what we've certainly, you know, gone back and look at that, looked at that history to learn from, is that that was not a union of all workers at UVA. That was a union of staff workers, and the graduate students had their own union, and then you know, faculty and everybody. It was all split, and so I think when the recession hit and when things were not looking so great that lack of unity made it easier for a union to fall away. There wasn't that solidarity across employment lines. So I think that's one thing we're doing here is really centering the idea that all UVA employees, we're the ones that make this university run. You know, we show up and we do the work. And if we unite our voices and empower other campaigns already doing the work, 
we're the ones to do the work. If we make a demand, the university has to listen because we're the ones that show up and do it every day. We make the university run. What do y'all see as most similar and most different from the early 2000s when it comes to labor activism here in Charlottesville, UVA specifically? Well, I definitely think there are important continuities, just especially with living wage, as you mentioned earlier. You know, the university did, I think, early in 2019, say that it would start paying its full-time employees $15 an hour. But I think the living wage campaign pointed out at the time that while that was a huge gain, um, that's no stock quite a living wage for Charlottesville. Um, And so these economic demands have kind of extended over time and are still relevant today. Um, How much are employees making? Are they able to survive on the money that UVA gives them? Um, I think what has changed since then potentially um, is the kind of, as Rosa was alluding to, broad-based coalition building that has come out. So, you know, rather than just talking about these very kind of cut and dry economic demands, you know, better pay, increased health care. Um, the union is also wants to devote itself to racial justice because we know that there is no such thing as an equitable and democratic workplace unless these inequalities of race, of, of gender are, are addressed and are made front and center. That's the union's job, too. Those are also exploitations and uh, things that workers suffer from. Um, and the other thing I think I would just say is that in terms of, you know, nationally, I think unions are back in the news. Um, I think that there's a we, we're seeing a lot of higher ed unionizations succeed um, and at really prestigious institutions. And I think that that gives places like UVA, where the law might make it harder to do so, that, that gives us a lot of hope. Um, we see that this is possible. We see grad students winning contracts elsewhere. And we know that we can do it here, too. While these certainly aren't new issues, I think we've seen in the past decade or so, a lot of new ways for these issues to develop, right? So in terms of like inequality and racial differences, we've seen like the rise of the Black Lives Matter movement over the past decade. We've seen even just here in Charlottesville, we've seen um, the tragedy that racial inequality and those who believe it should be upheld can inflict on our community, right? But in terms of just organizing, we've seen the sort of like red for ed teacher strikes that were happening in West Virginia um, and other states throughout the country, right? And so I think that's helped embolden us to feel like we actually can organize and we can win, right? I think that there was a lot more of a defeatist attitude in the 2000s in terms of what uh, workplace democracy could actually achieve. Whereas now I think that we've seen, as Crystal mentioned, people are winning fairer contracts. People are getting what they want out of their unions. And so that's sort of why we need to strike while the iron is hot. What do you all hope this union will look like five years from now? Personally, I hope that the union is um, growing still. By five years from now, I would hope that the Virginia State Legislature has repealed its harsh anti-labor laws um, and given public sector employees, such as we all are, uh, the right to collectively bargain and the right to make their voices heard through any means that they deem necessary. So hopefully five years from now, the union has been able to take uh, direct actions, has been able to grow to encompass all of the worker categories that we mentioned earlier, and and has been able to secure some of the goals that we're fighting for right now. How to get in touch with us? Uh, we do have a Twitter, an Instagram, a Facebook. So if you search up UCWVA or UCWUVA, we should be coming up uh, high up there. We have an amazing logo that was chiefly designed by Crystal. It's pretty recognizable. So, uh, you know, look for that. And then we also have a website, um, ucwva.org. And all of our information can be found on that website as well. 
Um, there's a link to our Act Fast UVA campaign for the fall, uh, link to the petition and everything like that. And on that website, also, you can find information about joining, about our, uh, our bylaws, about our mission statement. All that sort of information is, is readily, readily available online for anybody to look at. Well, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. I think people will learn a lot about unions, especially since like here in Virginia, it's something that a lot of people aren't familiar with, I think. Yeah, I think that's a it's a correct sort of read on the situation in Virginia. Yeah. Thanks for having us on, Mary. And we're always happy to be talking union. You're listening to Soundboard here on WTJU 91.1 FM and the Virginia Audio Collective. Both are a service of the University of Virginia. However, opinions expressed on this show are not the positions of the university. We had that conversation last week, and just a couple days later, UVA announced that it would bring around 5,000 students back to grounds starting on Thursday, September 3rd. The administration says it's confident that its safety measures will be able to keep case numbers at a manageable level. Dorms will be only two-thirds full. Facilities will monitor wastewater for prevalence of the virus. They have plans to distribute masks, and all UVA students, faculty, and staff are required to do a daily attestation of their symptoms or lack thereof. Perhaps most importantly, all students have signed a contract agreeing to the following rules outlined by Dean of Students Alan Groves. 1. There can be no gatherings in excess of 15 people, whether on grounds or off. Number 2. You must wear a face covering or mask over the mouth and nose anytime you are out of your residence on or off grounds. And finally, number three, you must maintain a distance of six feet at all times when in the company of others. Violation of these rules will result in a full semester suspension. Following the announcement that students will be allowed to move into dorms, Housing and Residence Life allocated an additional five residence halls for COVID quarantine, giving residents already assigned to those buildings 24 hours to choose alternative housing. Housing and Residence Life has also come under fire by its employees, the army of undergraduate resident advisors who say they are now on the front lines of the COVID-19 pandemic. In a letter to Housing and Residence Life, an anonymous group of resident advisors outlined 10 demands related to COVID-19, equity, and inclusion. They are calling for hazard pay, adequate PPE, access to HR support, and a third-party anti-racist consultant. As of Thursday, September 3rd, the letter has been signed by 294 students, community members, and organizations. Local K-12 schools also opened their virtual doors this week. Albemarle County is moving forward with plans to teach almost entirely virtually, with exceptions for a few hundred students who have special learning needs, are not native English speakers, and students without sufficient internet access at their homes. Those students will still take classes online, but will be allowed in the school building where they will have the support of a facilitator. Charlottesville schools plan to start on September 8th with an all-virtual model. WTJU is supported by the Southern Environmental Law Center. During these challenging times, the Southern Environmental Law Center is remaining strong and resolute in protecting the fundamental right to clean air and clean water and a healthy environment for all. Well, that does it for this week's edition of Soundboard, your source for news, culture, and community issues in Central Virginia. My name's Mary Garner McGee. Our theme song is Kyoja Beat 
by Marina Lasco and Jay Pun. This is Soundboard. Find us at virginiaaudio.org.